go. Let's do this. Um, <clears throat> okay, everybody. Welcome to the Church of Grace. My name is Patrick Hayes. I think you all know me. We are doing something different starting tonight. So we are going to be live on our Facebook page, the Church of Grace, which you guys can join. We're also going to be live on my Bible Thumper podcast, Facebook page, and my YouTube channel. So uh, I don't know if we're going to put this audio up on the podcast later. Uh, we'll see. Um, but just remember, Every dumb question you ask will now be <laughs> on a podcast for everybody to listen to. So, <clears throat> okay, so it's working. A <laughs> couple of things. <clears throat> so I did this because Louis' back was hurting and he wasn't able to make it here for a while. The purpose of being live on Facebook is not for everybody to stay home and watch it from their couch, which we're terribly afraid might happen with some folks. But anyway, it's there for everyone. So you're ever sick, you're on vacation, you're hurt, whatever reason you can't make it, you can still catch up on what we go over. So let's have a word of prayer and we're going to jump into Acts chapter 24 and we'll go from there. So, Lord, uh, you are just awesome and powerful. God, you have all the wisdom and the knowledge. You hold our salvation in your hand. God, you have all the riches and uh, you are our creator. And God, that's why we come to you in prayer. We have no one else that we can pray to. And God, we, uh, we just want to ask that you would please forgive us of our shortcomings and failures and sins in this last day. And Lord, help us to do your will and, and act righteously in this next day. And God, we want to thank you that we can come together and study the Bible. Uh, God, we want to thank you that we still live in a country where we can get to do this. And Lord, I want to thank you for all these folks that come out on a Friday night to study God's word. Um, it just touches my heart every Friday when folks come out. There are so many things we could be doing, um, but instead we get together to, uh, to study the Bible and try to learn more about you. So God, we want to want to ask that you would be in charge of tonight, that it wouldn't be us uh, God, we want to pray that you would get this message uh, delivered to the heart of whoever is here, whoever maybe watches us online, whoever hears the podcast one day. And, and Lord, certainly if someone is not sure, 100% for sure that heaven's their home, we would pray, Lord, that uh, you would give us a chance to give them the gospel so they could be saved and know for sure they're going to heaven when they die. Lord, please help us all to learn something about you and the Bible. And God, just help us to Please be more like you and less like us. Help us to do your will and not our own will. And we trust you will help us with these things and guide and direct this evening. We love you and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So <clears throat> with that, um, real quick, we have these missionary cards. Hey, Nancy. <laughs> hey, Josh. <clears throat> How are you doing, buddy? Uh, we have these missionary cards from the Vincent family who were here, I don't know, a couple weeks ago or maybe a month ago. They are missionaries to the Philippines. If you are not able to be here, we have a stack of these cards. So you can put these in your Bible. And when you pray in the morning, they make great bookmarks in your Bible. And then you can just remember to pray for them. And it's got their family's information and their website on there. So you can 
uh, just stay in touch. So please be sure to grab a card uh, just to, you know, stay in touch with uh, with them. Uh, they're the newest missionaries that we took on. They're in the Philippines. And they had a great story. Um, I got to interview uh, Ian uh, on my podcast a month ago. So if you weren't able to be here, you can check that out and learn a little bit about him. Okay, so Acts chapter 24 is what we're going over. The goal is to get through the whole chapter tonight. <clears throat> I know that's usually kind of laughable, uh, but I think we're going to do it because it's a short chapter. So let's just cover briefly what happened two weeks ago when we met last and went over Acts chapter 23. So let's see. Uh, the main points were that Paul went to Jerusalem and then he was attacked by the Jews who didn't like him. The Roman soldiers saved him. And then the Jews played, well, I don't know if they played a trick, but they planned on tricking the Romans into bringing Paul back into Jerusalem because Paul was safely locked away in the castle and they were going to bring him back into Jerusalem and the Jews were going to have a surprise and kill Paul. So that was the plan. Uh, Paul learns about this. Who did he learn this plan from other than those two kids? Who can tell me? Does anyone remember? This was a neat part about Acts chapter 23. Josh, what's that? No, Felix was the governor who Paul was going to be brought to. You want a second guess? Okay. It was his nephew. I don't remember his name. I didn't write that down, but we can look back in chapter uh, 23 and, and see that. So Paul, it was, it was an amazing event. Paul's nephew just happened to be standing around the Jews as they were conspiring to kill Paul. And I don't see that as a coincidence. I don't think coincidence is a kosher word. I think that was God using a little kid to save God's servant. And it's just neat how God does that. So then uh, the captain of the guard hears of the plan, removes Paul from the city under military escort. So Paul is now in Caesarea under the authority of Felix. He was the successor to who? Hmm. Who was Felix? What was his position? Mac. He was the governor. The governor of what? Josh. No. <laughs> He was the governor of, not Jerusalem, bigger area. It's okay. He was the governor of Judea. He was the successor of who? Who was Felix's predecessor? Famous guy in the Bible. No. Famous guy in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus. Who was a Roman authority in the life of Jesus? Pilate. It was Pilate. Pilate was the former governor over Judea. After him was this guy, Felix. That's who Paul is brought is was brought to after he left Jerusalem. So Felix wanted to wait till Paul's accusers could come and shed some light on the subject of what happened. Paul is being held in Herod's judgment hall until the trial can get underway. This brings us up to 
Acts 24. All right. So let's read Acts 24. Let's read the first nine verses, and then we will talk about this. And after five days, Ananias, the high priest, descended with the elders and with a certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. And when he was called forth, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness, and that very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. We accept it always, and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness. So what's this guy doing? Yeah, he's trying to sweet talk Felix, right? Okay. Notwithstanding that I be not further tedious unto thee, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of thy clemency a few words, for we have found this man, talking about Paul, a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes, who also hath gone about to profane the temple, whom we took and would have judged according to our law. But the chief captain, Lysias, came upon us, and with great violence took him away out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come unto thee by examining of whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things, whereof we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, saying that these things were so. <clears throat> all right, so let's start in verse 1. So five days later, Ananias, the high priest, shows up with a guy named Tertullus. He was what we would call the prosecuting attorney. Now, he didn't work for Rome like a district attorney would, works for the state or the government, you know, or the, the county. Uh, Tertullus was the guy that the Jews, because they were the ones bringing the accusation. So they, he worked for them, and he was accusing Paul of these crimes. Tertullus starts out by thanking Felix and telling him how wonderful he is. And this is a tactic that works when dealing with stupid and prideful people. Okay. You butter them up and they love to hear about it. And it works really well with a lot of people in government, right? Cause they're oftentimes prideful and stupid. So they want to hear about how wonderful they are. And Tertullus tells Felix about great the country is since he took over. So this guy, Felix, he did come in and put down several revolts. He also hired men to murder the high priest, Jonathan. So he was far from a good guy, but he really liked having his ego stroked. So that's what Tertullus was doing, was hoping to get on his good side before he started accusing Paul. So in verses 4 and 5, Paul is accused of sedition. What is sedition? Um, how about this? What's treason? We've heard that word a lot in the news over the last year or so. Mac? Mac? Okay, so in America, it's giving aid or comfort to America's enemies. 
Okay, that is treason. So sedition is um, conduct or speech that incites a riot or causes people to rebel against the state. Okay, so you're the ringleader that is riling people up and starting this, this riot, this mayhem, okay? In this case, Paul is being accused of causing a rebellion against the Jews. Tertullus says in verses 4 and 5, all the Jews throughout the world. Now, personally, and this is conjecture, I don't think Felix cares about anything outside of Judea, okay? And, and we're going to learn a little bit more about this guy and his character. He is horrible. This guy is a dirtbag. Uh, he didn't care about anything going on in the world. He just cared about his area. And mostly he cared about trying to move up in his station and extort money from people. He was a terrible person. Now, Paul is called the leader of the Nazarenes. What does that mean? What do you think? Why do you think that? Very good. Paul <clears throat> was called the leader of the Nazarenes. That's what the Jews called Christians. The sect of the Nazarenes. Jesus of Nazareth is a common name given to Jesus. We see that in Matthew 26, 71. And this is where Peter is accused of being one of the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. So this is when Jesus was on trial and Peter was outside and the prophecy came from Jesus that you're going to deny me three times. And they were asking him, aren't you with this guy, Jesus? And he's like, no, 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 I'm not one of those guys. And they say, yeah, yeah, you're one of the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. So that's what Jesus was known as because he came, he was from Nazareth of Galilee. Okay, so Jesus of Nazareth is a very popular name that he is given and we see in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 124, who's calling Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth? Go ahead. Let's turn to Mark 124 and let's see who can get there first and tell me who calls Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth there. Hoping the internet's faster than you turn in your pages. <laughs> Anyone got it? Go ahead, Mom. Uh, well, it's a man with an unclean spirit. Uh huh. So who's speaking? Yeah, it's the demon in the demon possessed man. Even the demons use that name. They call Jesus Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, so this is a popular name used around the country when naming Jesus. You got to remember, Jesus was a very common name. Jesus is still a common name. Now, what does the name Jesus mean? Or how about this? How about this? Let's do it this way. In the Old Testament, what was the name of Jesus? It's a different name because remember, New Testament is in Greek and that's Jesus. Old Testament, what was the name of Jesus? What do you think? Yeshua. Okay, Yeshua, good. But how would we pronounce it? Nope, Joshua, very good. Okay, there is a book in the Old Testament 
Joshua, that book is named Jesus. That's just how that jo- the, the name Joshua is the English pronunciation of the Hebrew name Yeshua. Okay. Which was Jesus's name. And we've never studied Joshua in this here yet, but when you go through the book of Joshua, it is insane how much of it points right at Jesus. And it makes sense. Books named after him. So anyway, there you go. That's your little lesson. Okay. So uh, Jesus of Nazareth. So that is what uh, the Jews called the Christians, the sect of the Nazareans. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> okay, now I'm going to give you an idea here, and this is something I hope everyone takes home. If you're going to take one takeaway home with you, this is it. Paul, what's he being accused of? Now, he was being accused of sedition. Okay, we got that. But he was also being accused of being the leader of the sect of the Nazareans. So what's he being accused of there when they say that? What's that? Yeah. Paul is on trial for being a Christian. Okay, you ready for this? This is the most convicting question I was ever asked in my life. And it wasn't directly to me. It was a pastor that I really like. He said, if you were in a country where Christianity was illegal... Would there be enough evidence to convict you? You're in a country where Christianity is illegal. They arrest you and they charge you with being a Christian. When it comes to trial, would there be enough evidence to convict you of that? Okay, we would hope so. If tonight is the extent of your Christian life, then you're in trouble. If they went to your place of business, would they be able to get those people to testify against you? Or would they show up in court and the DA asked them and they're like, what? Moses? He's not a Christian. How embarrassing would that be? If we were convicted of being a Christian and they got our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors and tried to get them to come and testify against us. And everyone's like, are you sure him? He's a, he's not a Christian. How embarrassing would that be? Okay. Verse six, this statement in verse six, who, Tertullus says that Paul went out and profaned the temple. This statement is a lie. Paul did not profane the temple. The Jews were mistaken. Uh, And we talked about that a couple weeks ago in chapter 23 when it happened. And for this, they were going to kill Paul. In verses 7 and 8, Tertullus is giving an account of the story to Felix. So he's explaining what happened and how Lysias, the captain of the guard, he was the Roman, saved Paul and brought him there to Felix. And in verse 9, all the Jews that were there with the high priest and Tertullus agreed that these things were so. So this is the first testimony against Paul, and everyone that's there that is against Paul agrees that, yep, he's a bad guy, this is what he did. 
All right, so let's read. Oh, you know what? First of all, let me see if my pages are out of order. Nope, I'm good. I still got some to go over. All right, so let's look at this before we read on. Who caused Paul all of his trouble as he went from city to city preaching Jesus? He's been doing this for years, right? What's that? Yeah, the Jews. <clears throat> it was his own countrymen who gave Paul his problems. It wasn't the Roman government at this point. Now, don't get me wrong. The Roman government is a horrible persecutor of the Christians. It just really didn't start yet. Right now, everywhere he went, it was the Jews that were dragging him out of the uh, synagogues and stoning them and driving them out of town and, and following them and going to the next town and trying to get them in trouble there. They were really upset with who Paul was and what he was preaching. But right now, it's Paul's own countrymen that are giving him all of his problems. It wasn't the government of Rome yet. <clears throat> what does that mean? Pax Romana. <laughs> it does. That does mean Roman. <clears throat> it's the peace of Rome. Roman peace. From 27 BC until 180 AD in the Roman Empire, they enjoyed 200 years of relative unprecedented peace. They had economic prosperity throughout the entire nation of Rome. And at this time, Rome spanned from England, which you can just see the very bottom of right here, from England down to Morocco on the south, the entire Mediterranean, all the way over to Iraq. The Roman world <clears throat> was booming for those 200 years. Now, don't get me wrong. There were revolts. Rome went places and they conquered land. Some people put up a fight. Lots didn't. Lots said, you know what? It's going to be better with you guys than the way we're doing it now. But there was economic prosperity throughout all the land because everywhere Rome went, what did they do? They did trade. But what goes along with trade? What's real important for trade this time of the world? Wash? Oh, yeah, peace helps. Go ahead. Uh, no, although they did have slaves all the time. What is required? Okay, there was always money there. Okay, but <clears throat> Sharon, you're in Morocco and you make widgets. I live in what they called Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, and I've got the gold and silver and I want your widgets. Well, now what? What? Yeah. What did Rome build all over the world? They built roads. They built, they built roads that are still here today. Okay? They made, they had some roads that were one long straight shot for over 100 miles. They cut through the landscape and they made roads that made trade possible. So the people in Rome 
They're like, we have opportunity now to trade that we've never had before. Okay, I'm going to give you a wild idea, and this might help with folks understanding a little bit of geopolitics. Do you know why America wants countries with a stable government and a stable economy? Do you know why we want that so bad? Because we have never been attacked by a country that has a McDonald's. Do you know that? We've never been attacked by a country with a McDonald's. Do you want to know why? <laughs> Here's the idea. If your country gets to a point where McDonald's says we're setting up shop there, you know what that means? You have a stability, a level of stability where guess what? People don't want to go to war anymore. They have jobs. Their kids can get an education. They just want to live and they don't want any of the nonsense. Okay. If you go ahead and pick your top five nations that support terrorism, no McDonald's. Okay. You don't find a McDonald's in Lebanon. You, you barely find pots and pans in Lebanon anymore. Okay. That is what, when you have stability, all of a sudden, everyone's like, I have more money than I've ever had. We have peace and security. We can, we can live our life the way we want. This is pretty good. I don't want this messed up. I am anti-war. We don't want it. We just want things to keep going the way it is. That idea is Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. It was so such a serious charge to start an insurrection, to start riots. Rome hated it. And Rome was like, oh, what religion do you celebrate? What, do you, what, do you, what God do you worship? I don't care. What, what God do you worship? Oh, that's great. We don't care. What language do you speak? Oh, I don't care. What do you guys do on the, I don't care. Just don't fight each other. That's it. You got it because that's expensive to the Roman government. It causes problems. Okay. So there's this little patch of land smaller than the size of New Jersey. And they just kept having rebellions. They were not okay with the Romans. What's that? You got it. Yeah. You got it. There's going to be a problem. Yep. We need to put guys like this down. So Paul was accused of disturbing the peace and inciting riots and insurrection against all the Jews. The Romans took that accusation very seriously. Now, there are three accounts of Paul's arrest given in the Bible. We're not going to go over all three of them now, but I want you to, you can write them down and look them up later. It's neat to do. You have Acts 21, 27 through 40. That is when Luke gives the account. So who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. So Luke's account is Acts 21, 27 through 40. 
Then you have Claudius Lysias. This is the Roman captain who writes a letter to Felix and says, hey, here's what happened. This is why we're doing this. And then you have Tertullus give his account that we just read. All three accounts are wildly different. So Tertullus gives the idea that this guy, Paul, is a monster and we, the Jews, were just, you know, doing well. And then your soldier came in and ruined everything by taking Paul away. And the captain, he gives a totally different story. And he says, Paul was a Roman citizen and I'm the hero because I saved his life because those Jews were going to kill him. And we brought him here out of protection because we don't want Roman citizens getting murdered in the street. So I'm the hero. And um and I don't know who these guys are, but they're trouble. And uh, Luke gives us the actual account of what happened. And the Jews uh, were formed a tumult and uh, were beating Paul to death when the Romans uh, showed up and saved him. But what we learned about when you read through uh, Acts 21 through 23, you find out that the, the Roman, the captain of the Roman guard had no concept of Paul being a Roman when he saved him. He saved him because he was trying to save his own skin, because if an innocent man was beaten to death on his watch, he knows he could lose his post. That's why he saved Paul's life. He only learns later that he's a Roman. and He's like, man, good thing we saved that guy. That could have been a real mess. OK, <clears throat> so you guys can look that up later. But Tertullus gave the impression that Paul had actually been guilty of profaning the temple, uh, that the Jews had been within their rights and seizing them and that the captain had stepped out of line by interfering. Um, <clears throat> let's read Acts 24, verses 10 through 16. Let's read the next six or seven verses here. Okay, starting in verse 10. Then Paul, after that the governor had beckoned unto him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast been of many years a judge unto this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself because that thou mayest understand that there are yet but 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem for to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man, neither raising up the people, neither in the synagogues nor in the city, neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and unjust. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men." So starting in verse 10, Felix asks Paul to speak, and Paul is happy for the opportunity. In verses 11 and 12, Paul states that none of their accusations happened in the time that he was in Jerusalem. How long ago was it that Paul went to Jerusalem? 12 days. How long were they waiting for the high priest to show up in Caesarea? Five days, said that in the first verse. And how long did it take to get from Jerusalem up to Caesarea? 
<laughs> now, it took two days. So Paul had been in Jerusalem as a free man for five days. And he said, I was there for five days and no one arrested me and nothing happened and there was no problem. You know, why is this a problem now? Come on in if you're coming in. Hurry, hurry. Where's Bella? You're going to, okay, you're going to go back out. Great. So she's out there by herself. Matt, go watch Bella. Make sure she's okay. I just don't want a hawk to come and pick her up and carry her away. <clears throat> okay. So let's see. All right. So uh, Paul was in Jerusalem. He said for five days, they're worshiping. Nothing happened, you know. Um, so why is this a problem uh, if I was there for so long? Verse 13. Paul says, furthermore, they cannot prove their accusations. Now, this is interesting, and this is going to bring us back to chapter 23, and I don't know if we're going to go back and look at the verses, but we'll, we'll talk about it here. Paul says that the way the Jews call heresy is the way he worships the God of his fathers. First of all, we've seen this term several times, the way. What does that mean? It is a code name for what? It is. It's a code name for Christianity. Okay. The way, and that's funny because we, we read that several times in the book of Acts and wh who started that phrase? Where did that phrase come from? It was Jesus. Can anyone give me the book or chapter or book chapter and verse? Nope. Before that, what's that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the father, but by me. John 16 verse no john four john 14 verse 6 yeah well you guys can look it up don't trust me obviously i don't know what it is yes ma'am that's fine yeah bruce can you reach that switch right there there you go great okay ac is off there you go we can we can you need a blanket Okay. So <laughs> the AC is off. It, you, you should start feeling better in a second. We're actually here. Let's do this. We'll, uh, we'll leave it on, but we'll go up two degrees. It's for you. All right. So let's see where we are. All right. So the way. So Paul is saying this way that you guys, and he's addressing the chief priests and all the Jews, this, the way that you guys call heresy is the way that I worship who? The God of my fathers. So what is Paul saying there? You got it. Paul's saying Christianity is the way that I worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your God. Paul believes <clears throat> in verse 14. Let's look at this. But this I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. <clears throat> and Paul adds to that that he believes everything written in the law and the prophets. This is an extraordinary statement by Paul. 
because he doesn't see any contradiction between his Jewish faith in the law and the prophets and his Christian faith in Jesus. Paul says there's no problem with these two things. They don't conflict. There's not an issue. This way that you guys are calling heresy, believing that Jesus is the Messiah and that he rose from the dead, this doesn't conflict with my worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the law and the prophets. Now, that is an extraordinary statement because so many people today think that there's some kind of major problem between the Old and the New Testament, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And I always ask people all the time that, that, are, that give the Old Testament a hard time, and they're like, ah, who needs it? You know, and ah, oh, you don't need to read that or study that or know that. I always ask them, are you polytheistic? For those of you that might know, that means you believe in many gods. And they're like, well, no. I was like, all right, well, the same God wrote the whole book. It's one God. It's one book. It doesn't, ha- there's not a problem with it. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that <clears throat> all of the Jews were supposed to get on board when Jesus showed up. And we were all supposed to worship the Messiah, and that would work out fine with the law and the prophets. What he's saying is, you guys missed the boat. A prophet showed up, it was the Messiah, and sorry, we left you guys in the dust because you wouldn't get on board. By the way, you crucified him. You did the same thing to this prophet that you did to every single prophet that has ever showed up, right? So Paul doesn't have an issue with it. I don't think they like that. I would imagine they were pretty upset and probably murmuring, if not outright, throwing a tantrum. In verse 15, Paul goes on to say that his preaching of the resurrection is exactly what the Pharisees believe. What's the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Mac? That's right. The Sadducees don't believe in any of the supernatural aspects of the Bible. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see. They do. They... So what they do is they write it off as analogous. That doesn't literally mean that, you know, so that's what they, they write off all those things. So the Pharisees, they believe in the resurrection. That's why there's a big division between these guys. And Paul brings it up every time the Pharisees are present. He's like, well, I'm just preaching what you guys believe. That this guy, Jesus, you know, rose from the dead. So in verse 16, Paul says that he always walks in a way not offending anyone, neither God nor man. I wish I could say that. I cannot. Now, we know that 
when someone takes offense, that doesn't mean that something was done wrong. And there are cases where people literally are pulling their hair out and screaming like children just because Paul was talking. You remember when Stephen was stoned and Paul was there? I don't remember what chapter that was in Acts. That was somewhere after two, but before six. And when Stephen was giving his monologue and talking about Jews messed it up the first time, then figured it out later, and then they missed it this time, but then they understood it later. And he was building to a point where he was going to talk about Jesus and say, and just like Jesus, you guys missed it when he showed up, but you can get on board and get right now. But before that happened, they rushed Stephen to stone him. But what did they do? They were so mad at Stephen. Does anyone know what the, what the Jews that were there did that stoned him? It says they stopped their ears. They were so upset and convicted, and we'll use the word offended, even though I hate that word, and so ruined, that they literally covered their ears so they didn't have to hear Stephen, yep, like a little child. La, 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 la. So <clears throat> Stephen didn't say anything wrong. They were convicted because they, the, the Jews knew that they were wrong about Jesus. So understand when Paul says that, okay, Paul went out of his way not to offend anyone so that he could give them the gospel. But he also, you ready for this, did not offend God. I had a friend of mine that brought up an issue. Him and his wife are currently fighting right now. They don't live anywhere here. They live in several states away, so none of you know who I'm talking about. But they're going through it because the wife has a friend she works with who is a homosexual, and she's telling her husband that she needs to love and support this lady and he's saying i have no issue with you being her friend and loving her but understand as a christian supporting that sin is damaging it's not okay it's bad for the person if you're their friend and you love them you don't support what's killing them that's not being a friend that's like me supporting someone's meth addiction. No, that, that's the thing that's bad. I want to help you get over that. <clears throat> Paul is saying, I, do, I go out of my way not to offend the people, but I also have this line where I don't offend God. I'm not going to support sin and idolatry and wickedness because I can't offend God either. And that's the balancing act for the Christian. Okay. Our job is to love people. Okay. But we also have to love God. And with that come standards and it's not easy. Okay. But understand <clears throat> that that's the balancing act that Paul's talking about. He, because he does not want to offend people. So he cannot have the opportunity to give them the gospel and help them to Christ. I don't know if I explained that well, but that was my idea. Okay, let's read verses 17 through 23. And we'll be and we're getting close to the end of the chapter. 
Now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult. Now, keep in mind, Paul is still talking to Felix. He's still giving his version of the story and making his own defense. So we'll jump in here just to give the just to give the background. What are we talking about when Paul was in the temple being purified in the temple? Does anyone remember that? Josh? I'm looking for the story. Why was Paul in the temple? Why was he being purified? Um, no, that's what, so no, it was, he was in the temple being purified for a different reason. Anyone remember what it was? It was a part of verse of chapter 23 that we went over. I, I know it was several weeks ago. So what happened was Paul showed up in Jerusalem and the Jews said, look, and these were Jews that were believers in Christ. So they went to Paul and they said, look, there's a bunch of guys here that think that you are totally against the law and the prophets. We have some guys that are finishing up a Nazarite vow. So without getting into too much, that's a vow that you could take. You made the decision to take it. And when you were done, so when you would take the Nazarite vow, you would let your hair grow. Okay. You wouldn't cut your hair. And then when you were done with the vow, you would shave your head. Long story short, they said, why don't you go into the temple and shave your head and go through the purification so that when you come out, all the Jews that are here that think you don't like the law and the prophets, they're going to see you following through with this Nazarite vow and everyone should be good with you. Paul said that would be fine. So Paul had no issue with that. Again, he said, if that'll help everyone get along, that's fine. We'll do that. So that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, I came to Jerusalem and I was in the temple and he was in the temple with a group of guys that were finishing this Nazarite vow. And they were there (coughs) together for a period of time. Okay, it was more than a day. And he says in verse 18, whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult. And we'll get to that. I just want you to have the backstory. Who ought to have been here before thee, talking to Felix, these guys should be here before thee and object if they had ought against me, or else let these same here say if they have found any evil doing in me while I stood before the council, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called into question by you this day. And when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or come on to him. 
All right, so now let's get into this. So Paul in verses 17 and 18 gives the story with details. He was in the temple, but he was not loud or disorderly. It says he was not in the temple with a multitude nor with a tumult. What is a tumult? <laughs> so does anyone have, <clears throat> hey, um, Moses, get me my 1828 dictionary. It's in the corner kind of on this wall. It's a green book. You, you could, a 50 caliber wouldn't make it through it. It's a, it's the biggest book you've ever seen. Yes, ma'am. It is. Yeah. It's, it's the biggest book I own. So <clears throat> a tumult is, I had to look it up cause I don't remember what it was. Okay. A tumult is when a group, uh, gets together typically in rebellion and usually with violence. Okay. So here, the reason I bring this up. Okay. This is Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. This is the original, you, you know, Webster's dictionary. This is the first one. You don't have to buy this extraordinarily expensive book anymore. You can get it on an app. The reason this is handy is because the language used in the King James Bible is in this book. So whenever you look up a word that you don't know, it's in here. The other great thing about Daniel Webster is you know how every word you look up, there's two or three definitions of it, and then it's used in examples. Guess where all of his examples are taken from? The Bible. Okay, so it's very user-friendly when you're reading your Bible. So um, if you read the King James Bible and you run into some archaic words, meaning words that aren't used that often anymore or not at all, get the app. I think the app is free. If, if it's not, it's a buck. Or you could buy that book, which I think was like over 100 bucks. So <clears throat> before smartphones, that's what we did. Now you don't have to do that anymore. So the word tumult is in there. Um, so what Paul is saying is, look, I was in the temple being purified. I was not with a the crowd. There was no tumult. And he's saying here <clears throat> in verses 19 and 20, number one, the guys that were with me in the temple for my purification should have been brought here to testify. Where are they? Right? Weren't those guys with Paul in the temple? For quite a while, Paul's saying, if this is a trial and we're trying to find the truth, where are those guys? Number two, he says, if I'm lying and I did cause a tumult, then they should be here to tell you that. But they're not here. Where are they? Well, they're not here because the Jews that came up here to accuse me wanted me to be found guilty. So they didn't bring the guys that saw the whole ordeal happen. That's what Paul is explaining in verses 19 and 20. Then Paul says in verse 21, through what I read as heavy sarcasm, the only thing I did wrong is remind the Jewish council of our Jewish doctrine, which is the resurrection of the dead. He's saying that's the only thing that I'm being accused of why I'm here on trial, because I reminded them of a doctrine that they already believe. And I'm claiming that this Jesus 
rose from the dead. <clears throat> so in verse 22, we find out that now we're going to wait for Lysias, the captain of the guard, to come and testify. Anyone want to guess why Felix is having this drag on rather than making a ruling? Ratings? <laughs> He's waiting for five stars. Josh? No, although that might be part of it. It says it's later on in the chapter, though. Anyone want to guess? What does Felix want? Oh, he does. Oh, that's right. Paul is bringing all the money to Jerusalem. He wants a bribe. Felix is like, well, we'll wait a little longer and we'll get someone else to come up here and tell their side of the story. Felix is waiting for Paul to pay him off. <clears throat> Felix, a little history on him, he was the first slave, first Roman slave, who was given his freedom, who became a governor. And he was horribly corrupt. And used his office to elicit bribes and uh, embezzle money. Okay, so verse 23, while they wait for Lysias to come and testify, Paul is to be granted complete freedom concerning visitors. He is more under house arrest. He is not in a prison cell as he was in periods before. Okay, let's read the last six verses and we'll be done. Uh, let's see where we are. Verse 24, and after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So listen to this. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, go thy way for this time. When I have convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener and communed with him. Verse 27, but after two years, Porcius Festus came into, uh, into Felix's room and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. Okay, so let's look at these last couple verses and we'll be out of here. So verse four, Drusilla. Does that not sound like a evil Disney, like, you know, yeah, Cruella, Priscilla. Yeah, like that, that's a, yeah. <laughs> so Drusilla, Drusilla had been involved with Jesus for several generations. Okay, her great grandfather tried to kill Jesus in Bethlehem in Matthew chapter two. Her great uncle killed John the Baptist and mocked Jesus. Um, you find that, uh, I didn't write it down. You find that in Luke chapter 23. And her father killed the apostle James in Acts chapter 12. So it is assumed that Drusilla was the one who wanted to hear from Paul and not Felix. Uh, Felix had several wives. They were all princesses. Uh, one was the granddaughter of Anthony and Cleopatra, and Drusilla was the daughter of Herod Agrippa. So prior to Felix, uh, she was married to another king. So Paul's invited to share with them this guy, Jesus. 
Verse 25, what does Paul tell Felix? He tells him about a judgment. What else does he tell him? So there's a judgment coming, right? That's future. Judgment is coming. What else does he tell him? What? No, that's Felix saying he'll call for Paul to talk to him more. Righteousness and temperance and judgment. So judgment, Wayne said, Jesus is going to judge you, right? That day is fixed. It is coming. Righteousness talks about the past, Felix's sins, and how he falls short of the righteousness of God. Temperance is our current behavior, our actions. So Paul lays out for Felix, you're a sinner, you were a sinner, you are a sinner, and Jesus is coming to judge you. So Paul doesn't hold back, even though this guy has his life in his hands. It would not be the first time that Felix ordered someone dead and then apologized for it later, and it was just swept under the rug. These guys were not nice guys. There was no justice here. Okay, but Paul gives them the truth. So what was the reaction of Felix? Okay, what is trembling? It is shaking, but there's more to it. It, I I think it is associated with fear, okay, but there's more to it. Okay, trembling, when else do we tremble? Or I'm sorry, when else do we shake? We shake, yeah, sure, we're, we're cold, we're chilly, right? Okay, trembling is an involuntary shaking. (laughs) Okay. It's the same idea. He didn't have control over it. My point is this. People tremble when they are terrified. People tremble when they are under conviction. Felix was under conviction of the Holy Ghost. And he felt it and he knew what Paul was saying. (laughs) He trembled. He was affected by it. And what did he tell Paul? He said, that's good for now. I'll call you again. I'll call you later. Don't call me. I'll call you when I'm ready to talk to you. I'll I'll come get you. He was affected by Paul's message. In verse 26, he said, we, we read emphatically that he wanted a bribe. So he called Paul often. He was hoping to get a bribe. And in verse 27, how long was Paul a prisoner for? Before Paul went down to Jerusalem in Acts chapter 21 and 22, or sorry, in Acts chapter 20, how long did the Holy Spirit say he would be in prison for? Two years. Okay, he was warned. He went anyhow. He was warned a second time. He went anyhow. He was warned a third time. He went anyhow, and it happened. God said, you're going to be out for two years. So then, uh, now, 
Why was he in prison for two years? It was because of a dereliction of duty on the behalf of Felix. Okay, Felix didn't make a judgment. He didn't let him go free. He didn't convict him and sentence him. He just held Paul around. So there was a change in leadership. The new governor is this fella, Porcius Festus, and he was a better man than his predecessor, Felix, and apparently took up his duties with the intention of doing what was right. However, he soon discovered that Jewish politics was not that easy to handle, especially a two-year-old case of the Apostle Paul, a prisoner with no official charges against him. Paul was a Jew whose countrymen wanted to kill him, and he was a Roman whose government didn't know what to do with him. So he sat there for two years. And what is told to us about the two years that Paul was in prison? We would assume so because he did it everywhere else he was in prison. Nothing is told of the two years he was in prison. We assume it was a time when he wrote some of the books of the New Testament, but we don't know that. It's not verified. And then let me ask you this. After Paul met the Lord on the road to uh, Damascus and he was given back his sight, where did Paul go to? Hmm. So he went into the city, he got back his sight, he met the apostle, he was brought to the other apostles, and they talked to him, and they were scared to death of him, but they accepted him, and then where did Paul go? What's that? Nope. <clears throat> he went to Arabia. And how long was Paul in Arabia? Two years. Two years. And what? about his two-year trip to Arabia is told of us. Nothing. The only thing that we're told is that he was taught by the Lord Jesus. We know nothing else about his time. The assumption is, what? well, let me ask you this. What's in Arabia? There is a lot of sand there. What else is in Arabia? What? Nothing. <laughs> Princes and Lamborghinis and no clean water. <laughs> What's that? <clears throat> There's one thing of significance in all of Saudi Arabia concerning the Bible. Only one. No. Where did the Jews go after they left Egypt? Where did they arrive on Pentecost? Mount Sinai. Where is Mount Sinai? Saudi Arabia. Present-day Saudi Arabia. G Paul went, and this, again, this is conjecture, but it's the only thing that makes sense. Paul went to Mount Sinai and was taught of the Lord. Who else was taught directly of the Lord on Mount Sinai? Moses. Okay? Those two-year periods, the Bible doesn't say anything about them. All we know is that they happened. The Bible does say Paul went to Arabia. The Bible does say Paul was taught by Jesus. That's it. And, and it does say that he was there for two years. Okay, <clears throat> we're done. Only four minutes passed. That is a record that deserves applause. Okay. <laughs>
<clears throat> let's have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we love you greatly. And, uh, and thank you for uh, letting us get through a whole chapter. And God, please help us to just read through the book of Acts chapter 25 in preparation for next week. Please give us a good, safe weekend. And Lord, we do love you. And we just ask that you would, you would touch our hearts and help us to learn what you want us to learn and change us to be who you want us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. If you didn't get any ice cream, it is there.